So when we launched it, there was a great hunger because we have dudes with MDivs that come to us still to get the training and the education because we want to marry that orthodoxy and orthopraxy. We don't want all orthodoxy and we don't want all orthopraxy over here. We want those married and meshed together. Today's podcast is sponsored by my friends at Axe 29, and they have an exciting opportunity coming up that I'd like to tell you about. Axe 29 will host four advanced conferences this year. Advanced conferences are training and assessment events that bring together new and aspiring church planters, dynamic thinkers, and proven church planting practitioners. The first advanced conference is in Raleigh, North Carolina, March 6th through 8th, with other events in Omaha, Dallas, and Portland throughout the year. These events will include breakouts for a wide variety of church leaders, including women who are pastors' wives or ministry leaders. To learn more and register for one of these advanced conferences, visit acts29.com slash advance23. That's acts29.com slash advance23. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to All Things. I'm so glad you are here. This is the fourth Thursday, the fourth episode in February, and I've invited my friend and my brother, my colleague, Doug Logan, onto the podcast today. Um, I just wanted him to wrap up all these episodes that we've been having on Black History Month and ask him a little bit about his story and his ministry. Um, He has a unique calling, and I knew that he would help us um, wrap up this month. So, Doug, thank you very much for being with us. Oh, it's honored, Prophetess, to be here. It's not an ideological statement. That's a hood statement. So don't nobody <laughs> against me. Um, yeah. So no, nah, it's, it's, it's a blessing to be here. Thanks for inviting me. Love what you're trying to do and love what, what you are doing, killing it for Jesus. So appreciate you, sis. <laughs> Thanks, Doug. Why don't you start by telling everybody just a little bit about your story? Who are you? Where are you serving? Where are you from? How did you meet Jesus? Those things. Oh my. Well, my name is um, Doug Logan. I serve as as um, vice president for advancement with Acts 29, I've been with Acts 29 since about 06. Um, um, I'm the president of Grimke Seminary in Richmond, Virginia. Um, I serve in a bunch of roles, but we'll stay with those two. Um, I'll add one more. I'm the pastor of church planning at Remnant Church in Richmond, Virginia, and on the teaching team there. Um, yeah, and so those are a bunch of roles. I wear a lot of hats. Um, I can go from blue collar to white collar in 10 seconds, more blue collar than white ever. And so um, I live in that space and in that world. Um, a lot of what we got going on as I, I dwell in the space of urban ministry, particularly making sure that when we say all nations, we mean all neighborhoods that go mm. with all nations. So we want to do that as Acts 29, Acts 29 Urban. I was, one, I was the architect for Acts 29 Urban, um, Acts 29 Espanol. Um, um, and we got two more coming out, X-29, um, Indian diaspora and Asian diaspora. So that's that's a lot of my day-to-day in doing that and working in the overall nuts and bolts of X-29. And at Grimke, I serve as president and dean of the School of Urban Ministry, um, where I'm having a good time doing that. Got about 20 urban ministry majors at Grimke currently, and I'm having a great, great time doing that. So that's kind of what I do. And man, I planted a church in Camden, New Jersey back in 2011. Um, Most dangerous, most violent, most poor city in America at that time. And from there, we planted and and co-planted about 10 more churches from Mm -hmm. 2011 
all the way up to about 2020. So it's been a joy and a great ride. Married about 30 years. Well, 20, I think I'm 28 now. We have about 28 years, three grown kids. Um, um, three, I, I jokingly call them Africans. They're inter, interracial <laughs> and um, biracial kids. And um, they're all grown, all two in ministry and one is a contractor. So my life came about in terms of Christ, man, I grew up in the church as a, as an unsaved Christian, we'll call it. That's my mm -hmm. oxymoronic statement here. So mm -hmm. I grew up as an unsaved Christian, ran it, got smacked in the face with Jesus in about 1996. I owned a barbershop. I cut hair for many years and bred dogs. So I owned a barbershop and wanted to, one, it was a, one of the, one of the cats that came to got, came to faith, good friend of mine, man, he used to always have these preachers in there. And they just kept challenging me, preaching the gospel, sharing the gospel. And wow. one day, um, man, I just got crazy saved one night around three in the morning and um, got up that morning and asked my live-in girlfriend, who was an atheist, if she would accept Christ too and marry me today. And she did. And so, um, yeah. So from there, I started preaching the worst sermons you ever heard. And by God's <laughs> grace... I got adopted by Phil Wright and Paul Tripp and Eric Mason, and um, they taught me how to preach and serve, and they loved me well. Doug, I have never heard your testimony until just now. You got saved in a barbershop at three in the morning. <laughs> well, no, I left the barbershop after getting rebuked by the preachers. I, I was okay. in the middle of the night at home after they rebuked me and told me I was going to hell and all of okay. this crazy stuff, and then... I'm sitting up because they, they don't mess with my soul. Now I'm going to hell. And mm -hmm. um, they said the last trump was going to go off and then I was going to be left behind. So the fire department alarm went off next door to my house. I live next to the fire department. So I thought I was left behind. And so, oh, thank um, goodness. <laughs> so me and Angel got married the next day. Your testimony is amazing. I love that. I'm going to be sharing this story far and wide. Thank you for telling us. Okay, so you have said something a few times now in regards to your role as a church planter and at Grimkey and with Acts 29, urban ministry. Unpack that for me. What is urban ministry and why is ministry different in an urban setting than somewhere else? Well, Jen, I want to demythologize urban ministry. Urban ministry can often be seen as this lesser side, parsley on the plate type of ideology. Mm -hmm. It's not. All ministry has a context. There is no mm -hmm. contextless ministry in the world. If we go to Hollywood, if we go to Beverly Hills, then there's a context. Mm -hmm. um, if we, that's a fluent ministry. If, mm -hmm. if we go to an all white neighborhood, that's ministry in white context. However, the one that gets ignored often in America is urban. So it gets a label because there's no ministry called white ministry. <laughs> right. Fair enough. So in light of that, urban ministry is just a contextual emphasis in which we zoom in on, um, particularly the urban context. And I'm using the old word for urban, not the new exposed brick and coffee shop urban. That's center city. I'm talking about the inner city, which mm. um, I speak of, which is often black and brown low income, high concentration of poverty, violence, crime, drugs, gangs, and um, often inadequate schools, not all the time. And um, home ecclesiologically and theologically to some, which every context is home to, 
bad theology in churches that don't preach the Bible, particularly in the urban context, is health and wealth ministries there um, and different kind of churches. I grew up in an urban context in a missionary Baptist church. I heard the gospel and um, it was different than what I'm doing, of course, but um, they preached the gospel. So therefore, that urban context is often that ignored, missed, rough, um, neglected, mm-hmm. I think, by even big Eva, evangelical on the whole, in terms of publishing theological opportunities and harvest is plenty, but the labors are few there. Yeah. Yeah. I think I, I agree with you. Um, and I just appreciate, you know, me having been a church planter now for over 20 years and on three different continents. So three very different contexts. I just appreciate what you're saying about neighbors and nations. And you're right. We all do ministry in a context. We're all coming from a context and wanting to preach Christ and share his love in a specific context. Um, tell us a little bit about what it was like going from being a new believer, you know, getting wrecked in the barbershop, coming to faith at three in the morning, getting married the same day. What was it like going from that to realizing you felt called of God to be a church planter? Tell us a little bit about that journey. I, I do believe in, you know, the old Ed Stetzer um, and a lot of the, the the young wrestlers and reform missiologists like him, Steve Childers, they talk about the entrepreneurial aptitude realities. Now, I don't know if that plays hard into church planning so much. I think we took too much of that. However, Mm -hmm. on just a general level, I was an entrepreneur. I was a serial entrepreneur. And so church planning played into that. I bred dogs. So I would breed dogs, multi-generation dogs, sell dogs, go to dog shows. It was always an endeavor. I had my own little logo for my dogs, pure blessings, and I had all that new city bullies. So I always had some swag, a little website, dogs with the collars. And even at the barbershop, we had the little swag, the haircuts, the special things, the Doug Deluxe is what I called it, shampoo, shave, and all of that. And so by the time it came to church, there was not, I wasn't allowed at my at my hundred and some odd year old um, traditional Baptist church to innovate some of those things. So I, mm-hmm. I attended there, came to faith there, got ordained there. But often mm-hmm. when I tried to bring some creativity to the table, they'd be like, boy, um, we're doing that old time religion. And I'd be like, well, I'm, it's corny to me. I love y'all. Jesus is good, but I'm going to go ahead and do something else. And so like I had been. So for me, Jen, coming to Christ and wanting that to be spread. So the missional impulse in my soul wanted. So I started leading people to Jesus at the barbershop. I take them to the church. They still smell like weed. They still got multiple baby mama drama stuff going on. And then when they get to the church, there was a level of disengagement and a level of marginalization between the new believer from the block and the traditional African-American church that I came up in. And so I wanted, and I did not have that problem at the barbershop. Mm. At the barbershop, I wore Jordans, hoodies, sweatsuits, and talked that talk regular on some real talk. Therefore, I wanted to create that experience under the blood of Jesus, powered by the Mm. spirit in the center of the gospel. So Mm. in terms of church planting, they... I didn't find anybody that was going to let me do what I just said um, anywhere. So once I heard about church planning, I was like, I don't even know what that is, but we're going to try it. And <laughs> so when I took on my first church, matter of fact, it was an all white church. 
um, old church, and I was the first black member, and I was the pastor. Hundred years later, me and my wow. wife, me and my wife loved them. They loved us, and I told them what I was trying to do. They were like, "Pastor, are you going to preach the Bible?" I said, "Yeah." They said, "Are you going to teach us Jesus?" Yeah. Are you going to live holy? I said, "I'm going to do everything to walk in accountability and live holy." I'm, I am. Do she said, "Do your little rap crap," is what she said. That's what that was preaching hip hop stuff. And so she was like, go ahead and do it. One of my older, old saints at the church, been there the whole time the church. She was, she died in 94. And um, her mother was on the church plant team. So she was, it was an old lady. So she told me, go on, go. We did it. And so from there we replanted. And then I caught the vision for church planting through Eric Mason, um, different ones. And yeah, it was really, really, that that's what was built in me. I knew we had to get, I wanted to be the Rosetta Stone to the block for the gospel. Mm -hmm. um, there was a translation problem coming from mm -hmm. my historical traditional Baptist church to the block. So I said, let me be the Rosetta Stone um, to the block, which, which we sought to do. Yeah, that is so good. I love that analogy, the Rosetta Stone. And I love that you're speaking to just the integration of our life and faith, because I think so often we compartmentalize what we do spiritually or religiously, what we do professionally, what we do with our family. We've have, we have all these boxes in different places, but what I hear you saying is we are one person, mind, body, soul, spirit, and we need to be that one person, whether we're in the barbershop or at church, wherever God has us to be bringing Jesus into that context. No, absolutely. You're, you're dead on. And that, that's a big lesson that um, is where our millennials are. It's where I was, and I'm not a millennial at all. Um, yeah, I mean, I got grandkids and great-grandsons, so I'm old. But I do know that all-life worship was, was an idea, not a concept. Mm -hmm. um, and it was, it was high theology, not practical steps. And so that was a big deal. And... Um, um, you know, jokingly, from a missiological perspective, people talk about the kings of the kingdom. Well, when I was serving in the in the center cities of Philadelphia with my bros from Liberty Church, man, the keys to the kingdom there was coffee and Cabernet. You know what I'm saying? Mm, mm -hmm. um, keys to the kingdom in the hood ain't coffee and Cabernet. <laughs> the keys to the kingdom vary from, from attire to music to cookouts to block mm -hmm. parties to all types of things that are so different. However, I can go in holistically as yeah. an individual and because that's the beauty of conversion, right? When Jesus saves you, he saves the whole person. And in that whole person, he redeems yes. the broken pieces. He can't, re can't redeem our sin, but he redeems who we are individually. Mm. He's not scared of personality. He bends it for his glory and for mm. his purpose and for his use. He even blends my blackness, redeems it. He doesn't get mm -hmm. rid of it. He doesn't make the church a mushy crown where we melt all of them together. No, we are distinct and different, yet unified in one. It's about oneness, not sameness. And then he redeems that. So now that same mess I was doing for the devil, mm -hmm. I get to do under the blood of Jesus through his word and use that same stuff. He just reverses the inertia of the momentum and uses that good stuff towards people that they might run into grace and get punched in the face with Jesus and mess around <laughs> and say, man, 
I can't believe it. And um and and that's a hard lesson in the hood because mm-hmm. of our traditionalism. I'll tell you a 10 second story. There was a young man I was sharing the gospel with one time. We were and I was talking to him and I I was going back there was a it was a hot dog joint. I couldn't find a coffee shop when I first started in Camden. So I was at a little hot dog joint. And I met this little hot dog joint, which turned into a burger joint. It turned into three things in like eight months when I was there. But nonetheless, I was the same dude worked there because it was the same owner. The young man, Latino brother, he was caught kicking with me. He was like, yo, PD, what's up? You good? Yeah, yeah. So he was always serving me, serving at the table. I began to share the gospel with him, talking to him. He was loving it. And then he says, I hear you, PD, but I can't be a Christian. I said, what you mean? Ma'am. My grandmother is a pastor, and she told me that because I've sinned so much and I'm so, and I won't stop, that I am, have a demon that won't come out. So I, so I'm basically reprobate is the word I'll use, but he said condemned, eternal condemned. And I said, bro, that ain't true. This is what he said to me. So you calling my grandmother a liar? I said, yes. He wanted to fight me. I said, brother, I'm trying to get you in heaven. She got you locked in hell forever. I'm trying to get you in heaven. But he says, but it's my grandma. She took care of me when my family abandoned me. When my mother was on drugs, she took me in. Ain't no way you're going to call her lying. Do you see that quagmire there? That weird loyalty to the block mixed with a spiritual spiritual warfare and mm-hmm. voodoo and spooky dookie going on? Those are the things we're up against because of that traditional stuff hmm. was torn. That yeah. He even be a Christian and was angry yeah. when I said he could. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That is complicated. Um, Doug, I know that you have had a passion to multiply church planters. You you've wanted to replicate this and just give an opportunity to people from these urban contexts to be planting churches exactly the way you've been talking about. How did you move into the process of multiplying missionaries in your context? Tell us the story of Grimke, um, how it all began. Well, I'll tell you both. So first, it started with a residency. I did a residency under Dr. Eric Mason and Dr. Paul Tripp at 10th and Epiphany Philly. They both planted me. So that residency, I just stole it. Um, Dr. Tripp says he's okay with gospel thievery. So I stole (laughs) it. And Dr. Mason says, I'm going to turn you from a thief to a theologian one day. And so I stole their stuff. I took it. And when I got to Camden, we bought a house next door to my house. We bought a van. And we developed out our church plant residency two years. Mm. And people began to move in. One guy, Charlie Mitchell, who planted Epiphany Baltimore, now Hopeville, it came in and moved in the house. And different ones came through and did our residency. Dave Rosa in Miami, Derek Park, who's in Epiphany, Wilmington, Joe Marlin, who's Epiphany, Gloucester City. We planted those churches. So at that point, I was bottlenecking. And because it was coming to me, I, I needed a squad. I needed to broaden out because a lot of people were calling like, yo, Diddy, man, can I come through? I was like, I, I can't handle that. Like I got kids, grandkids. You know, I like to go to the movies and, you know, watch TV sometimes, Law and Order reruns. I like that. So I can't I don't want to be responsible for the whole urban thing um, because I don't want everybody to be like me. I want them to be like them. So I wanted to mm-hmm. expand. So from that. I've been working on a school thing for years. I, I moved out of Camden, handed the church over to one of my spiritual sons, Dr. Ernest Grant, 
I shift down here. I'm on the preaching team doing what we call then Church in Hard Places, which is now Acts 29 Urban. However, during that time, me and my new pastor, Pastor Brian Lachlan, man, we begin to talk about, I told him about a vision I had for school. He said, me too. What you thinking? He literally sat down, Jen, walked over to his little whiteboard because he's tactile like me. And he walked over to the little dry erase board, wrote, I started talking. He started writing down what I said. And then he says, okay, Diddy, we're going to put that together. So let's work on getting the school started within the next year. I said, what? I was like, who this joker talking to? I've been working on this thing for 10 years. And he's going to write some stuff on a racer board. This little arrogant joker. I'm about to punch him. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> and then he just started talking about it. He's just a humble, crazy dude. Love, I love that bro. Like, his kids call me Uncle Doug, man. I love it. So I was like, so I get on the phone. I'm like, Angel, this joker talking about he about to put it together. And she was like, maybe he is. I was like, man, he ain't put nothing together. I've been trying this for years. Jen, I was going back and forth to Jersey before I moved to Richmond. I was going back and forth. So I call her on the phone. And the next thing you know, I call him back. And I'm like, bro, you serious? He said, yeah, I got it, man. We're going to take care of this. He said, I got to go, Diddy. I said, okay. I said, Angel, I think he's going to do it. <laughs> and he started building. He started asking me more questions. We started building and building. Within about 30 days, I had a curriculum, a web page. We were ordering the 501c3, and it just jumped off, man. It was nuts. Oh. Um, so then we began to build together the, the School of Urban Ministry, which I began to, which um, I shared the vision of that he wrote on that board. He had that all grafted in, like, like he was in my head. And so that's what happened. Of course, I called my friends, my 829 friends. I called Tony Marita, Dr. Dwayne Bond, um, my boy Chris Atwell, um, 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 Brian Lachlan, me and Brian Lachlan were together, Pastor Doug Ponder on the team. Man, we said, let's just do this, man. And um, mm -hmm. got with the Acts 29 bros, and they said, let's cook. So from that, we, we knew then we could serve the network. And serve the, the greater area, the greater evangelical landscape with pastoral training, um, 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 similar to what Dr. Um, Spurgeon did, what Charles Spurgeon did with Pastors College, similar to what um, Dietrich Bonhoeffer did with his Capstone School and all of that. So we wanted to be in that vein. We were simple. We didn't have no money. So we had to keep it simple. And we thought we'd have five to 10 students a year and it would be awesome. And in 30 years, we'd be something. And we took 50 people in in the, soon, in the first four months of launch and we've graduated two classes since then. So that was the heart. It was we wanted to spread out the training, not bottleneck, develop leaders in a pastoral thing at it, you know, at our triple A accessible, affordable and achievable way. Very very affordable, accessible online, working with your church and um, achievable two-year degree. So we've having a good time, a lot of great graduates and um, harder work than I ever imagined. Um, but I like, you know, it's it burns me out like a workout, like an exhausted workout, not like stress. You know what I mean? You get off that treadmill after an hour, you're ready to fall out. But that's a good exhaustion. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. 
Um, Doug, I love the vision that you have for the school, making it accessible, making it affordable, achievable. Oftentimes, you know, there are so many different populations that face barriers like that. So I just praise God that you were able to provide an educational setting um, that, that lacked those barriers so that people could come. Tell me two things. One, what was the hunger? I mean, 50 students in your first semester, that was so surprising to you. What was the hunger? And then maybe you have a story or two where you can share the fruit of those labors, the success, something that, you know, just as thrilling that happened as a result of that. Yeah, well, the hunger, just from conversations, Jen, remember, in our reformed world, which is a small world, people think it's huge. It's not, it's not huge. It's small. It's, it's small. Catholics got more churches in one city than we have across the country. We're, we're a small little crew. Um, often our schools are very expensive mm-hmm. and they're very top heavy, theologically mm-hmm. rich, and they can lack. I'm not mad at them. I tend to them, um, but I'm di- it's different. I, I liken it to the suit that Iron Man had when he was in Iraq and the suit he had when he got home. Both of them worked. One was much more flexible. Yes, <laughs> and, yeah. so, and so um, I'm a graduate of a of a of a regular seminary, Lancaster Bible College, Capital Seminary. Um, so all my guys, they all went to different seminaries. However, the hunger was it flowed from the urban context because guys who had done some seminary had um still were coming to me for training, hmm. so they knew. The, the 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 you know the five points of Calvinism they knew yeah. the ordo salutis they knew you know soteriology pneumatology eschatology they knew those things but what do you do with the dude on the block who is suicidal homicidal and got a lot of drama and has a gun in his hand mm-hmm. that I love Bob Inc. he ain't teach what to do with that though that ain't in the right. and so therefore that training component mixed with that rich, beautiful Reformed theology makes the difference for me. But Reformed theology has to work on the block. It can't, Reformed theology is not some goofy, high, mm-hmm. high hierarchical, weird thing. Mm-hmm. And it's, mm-hmm. uh, it's you know, Alistair Bates said, how did you become Reformed? He said, I read the Bible. Well, it's, <laughs> it's, the, it's, it's the gospel expressed through theology, period. Mm-hmm. Therefore, um, that hunger of training on top of the education is what drove me to even start building. So when we launched it, there was a great hunger because we have dudes with MDivs that come to us still yeah. to get the training and the education because we want to marry that orthodoxy and orthopraxy. We don't want all yes. orthodoxy and we don't want yeah. all orthopraxy over here. We want those yeah. married and meshed together for that, for that comprehensive gospel punch. So that's the prayer. And um, so in light of that, that hunger came. And then second, Jen, is simple. We're $10,000. Some MDivs out there are $90,000, We're $10,000 for our Master in Theological Studies and then another ten for our STM, our Master's in, in um, Sacred Theology. So 20 Gs is equivalent to some MDivs that run past $80,000. Second, yeah. you don't have to pack your family up and move to Richmond. You can do it online and just do it through intensives. Mm-hmm. The last element was in our church planning world. And Jen, because of those prices, we're so grateful to Acts 29 
who blessed us because we're not going to make enough money to survive without mm-hmm. external donations at those prices. But we wanted to really not build the back um, of the school on the students necessarily, but on a collective effort of our network, our friends and everybody kicking in and donating. So therefore, yeah, that was that hunger. Secondarily, we launched Grimke College about two weeks ago. Of course, I know. Of course, I'm uh, listen. I, I'm unapologetically complementarian. I'm humble complementarian. I'll use Jeff Metter's book, Humble Calvinism. I'm humble complementarian. I'm a happy. There you guy. go. And in light of that, um, we wanted to get training for our ladies as well and non-pastors. So the Grimke College is for non-pastors, men and women, youth leaders, all of that. Grimke Seminary is just for pastors with First Timothy 3 Jews or that are already ordained in pastoring. So I'm happy to launch Grimke College. My wife was the first student to sign up. She knows the president. She got a little hookup with the president. So you know I took care of that for her. You know. <laughs> and um, so my wife is in. My, my son, who um, is a worship leader at a church up in Lancaster, he is also a student of Grimke College. And he'll be learning under... Um, Dr. Tony Marito on preaching. He preached his first sermon two weeks ago. So that's the reality. We wanted to encapsulate the whole church, but we're regular, Jen. I'm like regular as Metamucil. I'm simple. We couldn't build this empire in 10 seconds. You know, my wife likes to go on date night. I can't spend all night just writing curriculum. So we we had to do it at a pace. So yeah. some of the great stories that are jumping out from there, um, I'll say this overall is, Jen, this school is named after a former slave, a biracial former slave. When I got out of high school, I went to college and struggled. He got out of slavery and went to college and graduated valedictorian. I'm so jealous of him. Um, Second, Francis Grimke was just committed to gospel ministry, committed to Jesus in a very turbulent time, you know, right after emancipation, proclamation in this country, um, racism, volatile, clan ra- ravaging the South in Jim Crow, all of these things over that span. He passed with one church for 50 years, for fit, over 50 years. So the overarching story is one, one, one student came to me, white student, cool as a fan. He says, Prez Diddy, man, I got adopted son, African-American. And when I showed him a picture of Francis Grimke and you, he said, you're going to that school. Is your president my color or something like that? And he said, Pastor, he said, Prez, I'm just honored that, I mean, this school bears this name of a gospel man, Francis. Mm-hmm. And he says, and I've paid attention to your ministry. I think you're a little crazy, but we love you. And um, man, I've watched your ministry and planted churches. So it's an honor to be here. So in terms of, in terms of that, that brings me so much joy overall and then um yeah and then um yeah it's a bunch of little stories but one of my friends lorenzo elizondo x29 planner pastor of 15 years man he was one of the first guys i was talking to coming in and he joined graduated and he told a story um i was you know i'm very personable and especially with the school i'm very sensitive so um a lot of my older guys ain't wrote papers with ain't wrote so here you go the president talking about ain't wrote papers i said ain't um in years so they don't they ain't mess with no Turabian and all of that so so i'm picking on lorenzo because he told the story publicly he said he wrote me a paper and 
content was fine, but it was jacked up organizationally because of the Tariq, you know, my our requirements. And I said, and he writes like a preacher. Almost everybody in our school writes like preachers. And, you know, it's like hearing preaching, no, I need a paper, not a sermon. And so they write like preachers. So I so I call I call him. I said, bro, I'm looking at this paper, bro. Um, I'm not feeling it, bro. <laughs> Listen, I need you to rewrite this, John. You represent Grimke. You represent our school. You my boy. You represent 829. You represent that hood there. Come on, bro. Come on through for me. He said, did he help me out? So we walked through it on a Saturday morning on structure and we talked him through. And then he turned that paper back in and got up like a 97. And so during graduation, he says, Grimke is the only seminary where you, when you turn in a paper, you don't get a grade, you get a phone call. <laughs> it's, that. that was a special moment for me. And, um, and the other special thing is, um, Man, when people graduate, my first sermon, I said, I said in the sermon in my first commencement, many of you didn't think you were going to graduate. Many of you were told you were too dumb. Many of you knew you could never afford Mm. very expensive seminaries. I said in the sermon, my my house in Camden, New Jersey was 50,000. Some of these MDivs cost more than my house. But I said, Mm -hmm. look at you. You are graduated. You've done the work. Salvation is by grace. But degrees are by works. And you've done the work. Look at you graduating. Your mama here. Your kids is here. Your church is here. Man, God showed up and brought you through. And to watch those more than half of 22 graduates crying at that reality Mm. was a pivotal moment for me. Like, these people are here. And they're not here for a reduced version of seminary and they are here to give their lives because they want to be the best pastors and so the specialness of it is I love that we're an underdog blue collar school you know I talk about I'll joke Westminster so Westminster is like Westminster and we're like Westminster Tech (laughs) (laughs) I like it (laughs) yeah we get you know they they write books about how to build airplanes and we give out wrenches and we build them. And so, <laughs> and I'm not picking on them. I love them. I ain't mad. I'm just playing. But yeah, so we're more of a trade school. Yeah, like It's like when I went to school, when, you know, when I grew up, you could go to barber school or mechanic school in high school. We're more like the practical nuts and bolts of learning mm-hmm. as you go thing. Robust in theology, but robust in practice. Yes. Yes. I love it. Well, this is the second time the name Francis Grimke has come up this month in our podcast. It came up in the first episode and now he's coming up here again in the last episode. So um, I want to commend my listeners again to go learn about the life of Francis Grimke. And I can't think of a better person to name your seminary and college after. Um, And just appreciate your heart, Doug, for neighbors and nations and contextualizing the gospel so that all might know Jesus. I praise God for that. And thank you for that. God be the glory. And for Black History Month, man, jump on there. Tell people I'm going to post something about Grimke, a bunch of facts. So they can on there. I'll tell you one as you as you kick me off. Yeah, let's hear it. Frederick Douglass. He was a good friend of Frederick Douglass. He was a good friend of W.B. Du Bois and Booker T. Washington, but of particularly of Frederick Douglass. Frederick Douglass' first wife died when he was about 73 years old. And he married. He got, he got remarried. And he married a white woman 
at that time. Nobody would do the wedding. Francis Grimke did it in his living room in Washington, D.C. Mm. Francis Grimke did that wedding. You know, when he received threats and slander and accusations, and he was happy to do that wedding for Frederick. Mm. A lot of people just don't. This man is a reformed, solid dude, Princeton Seminary grad under Charles Hodge. His brother helped start the NAACP. Archibald Grimke, Harvard grad, also right out of slavery. And um, um, and their contributions aren't black contributions. They're both Christian contributions to the advancement of the gospel and American mm. contributions to the fabric of this, this, mult, this melting pot nation that we're still trying to build out and mm. embody the views and visions of um, one nation under God. Yeah. And, um, we bring the gospel. The church brings the gospel to that. And we stand in. Black history is just regular American history. Mm-hmm. It's some folk um, that came through a rough time of oppression, slavery, challenges, and yet they are regular contributors to the American dream. Amen. Amen. Uh, Well, on that note, one nation under God, the church brings the name of Jesus to bear on our history. Grimke did it well. Maybe walk in his footsteps. Doug Logan, thanks so much for your time today. It's been really good. Honored. Honored, sis. Prophetess, I appreciate you. (laughs) All right. You take care, Doug. Thanks for listening to All Things with Jen Oshman, where we look at current events and trends through a Christian lens. All things were created through Jesus and for Jesus, so we're seeking to apply His Word to what's happening here and now.